welcome to a new wave of entrepreneurship. I'm Scott Sturt, founder and CEO of Venture for Canada and your host. The focus of this podcast is to hear from changemakers and young Canadian entrepreneurs to learn how they develop their entrepreneurial mindset and skills. In season one, we'll be chatting with young Canadians about their entrepreneurial journey as Venture for Canada fellow alumni. I'm excited to dive into these conversations about how to foster your entrepreneurial mindset and drive. Hey, Ben, uh, we're super excited uh, to have you on uh, our podcast, uh, A New Wave of Entrepreneurship. Uh, Ben Wynn is uh, the Events and Community Manager at Catalyst Software, which is a leading uh, customer success software that just raised uh, $20 million investment funding. He's a 2016 Venture for Canada uh, fellow uh, and the founder of CS in Focus uh, and a renowned expert in customer success uh, and uh, has done a ton of work uh, in the field. So really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on today, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you and catch up and chat with you. Uh, Agreed. Uh, So first kind of question for our listeners, can you describe a little bit uh, about yourself? A bit about myself. I have, uh, <laughs> uh, I love building relationships. I have very little patience. I just found out I'm celiac, um, love startups, been uh, really glad that I went through the Venture for Canada program uh, way back when. And it's been an amazing journey the last five years, figuring out what customer success is and that I loved it. And then uh, finding my way to starting CS and Focus and then sort of stumbling into this role at Catalyst, which is a mix of what I love on community building, what I love about customer success and gives us the opportunity to eventually move to New York. So um, that's, uh, feel free to dig in on any of those, but I guess that's high level, a little bit about me. That is a efficient uh, overview. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, so digging in deeper into your kind of ex- journey into customer success, mm-hmm. uh, what was your first exposure uh, into the customer success uh, field? And then relatedly, uh, why do you think you became passionate about that specific subject area? Um, completely accidentally and um, but mostly by luck. So through Venture for Canada, I was interviewed, I got an interview at a company called Statflow, um, where there's a number of great fellows doing fantastic things. And when I interviewed with them, they uh, I was offered a sales role or a CS role and uh, not having any experience in sales, um, I was really scared of being in a sales role because I knew I'd have a quota and pressure and I'd have to be salesy and I was picturing a car salesman. Um, So I was like, oh, I really want the customer success role, not really knowing what that entailed. Um, And they were like, great, that was a test. We wanted to make sure that we've had a lot of people saying they would take either role because they just want to work here, but you clearly know what you want. And I was like, yeah, totally. Um, That's that's why I said that. Um, But it worked out to be a really happy accident because um, that was my, my first role kind of jumping into customer success, learning what it was in a B2B environment. And, um, eventually that, that led to me joining seamless MD where I got to build out the customer success function, which was where a lot of my real learning, um, and exploration happened and what led to sort of everything that, that came from there. Could you describe for our listeners, what is customer success, uh, and in particular, in, in describing it, can you define and distinguish the difference between customer success and what uh, people traditionally would think of customer support? Support, And then likewise, how is customer success different than sales? 
Sure. So um, simply put, customer service or customer support is responsible for fixing what is broken and customer success is responsible for proactively driving customers' desi desired outcomes. So a customer service request would be, this is broken, please fix it. But a customer success request is, we've engaged your company to help us grow by 50% this year, um, help us do that. And so it's the CSM's job to make sure that that customer grows their revenue by 50% that year, whatever it is that the, the desired outcome is. Similarly, uh, the way I differentiate it from sales, the simplest way is sales is responsible for conceptualizing the vision of what the software or what the company can do for the buyer. Customer success is responsible for executing that vision. Um, so that's why there's often some tension between the two because sales will be like, oh, this can solve everything for you. And then CS will get the customer who has all these expectations and they're responsible for executing it. And if there's not alignment around what's been promised and what can be delivered, there can be tension. But uh, great companies have, have fantastic uh, uh, collaboration between those two departments. What are some of the main metrics that customer success teams are generally assessed on? Um, the most important metric for customer success at a high level is NDR, which is net dollar retention. Um, so that can be broken into, so that's basically the amount of money retained, the amount of dollars retained year to year. Um, the, way to, the best way to think about it is by breaking it into three smaller metrics, which are churn. Um, so that's the amount of customers or dollars lost. Retention, which is customers or dollars retained. And expansion or upsell, which is the additional uh, dollars that are brought in from existing customers. So the best SaaS companies in the world, um, like Dropbox or uh, Slack, or you know a lot of these leading ones, they have net dollar retention rates of around 140, 150%. So that means that even if their sales team sold no new customers um, over the course of a year, they would still grow their revenue by 50% because their current customer base is growing with them. So that's why net dollar retention rate is the most important thing. That's a great business uh, to, to be in. If, if your revenues can, uh, you know, grow at that rate uh, without selling any new clients, uh, yeah. it, that that's a pretty good situation to to be in for uh, for, for a company. That's why every I, every I, company yeah. needs to be investing in customer success for that reason alone. Do you find, uh, in your experience, working you know through CS and Focus and and the, working with a wide range of different tech companies and seeing how they have customer success? Do you find that most technology companies view customer success as a cost center or as a revenue generator? Um, the best companies view it as a revenue generator, the ones that are doing really well um, or the ones that are moving in that direction. Uh, but there's a lot of, I would say, larger companies that are just slower on the uptake um, because larger companies move slower, adapt slower. Um, when you have a larger team, change management internally is a lot harder. Um, like I know people that are responsible for implementing customer success across all of Oracle or all of IBM. And it's like, if you have a 5,000, 10,000 person organization, it's hard to get buy-in for customer success and implement customer success practices and implement software and all this kind of stuff. Whereas if you're an early stage startup, and you're like four people or you're 50 people, much easier to, to kind of attend some webinars or read an ebook or, or, you know, talk to a CS professional, get it and implement something along those lines. So we're definitely trending in the right direction. If you were a team lead of a customer success team and you were hiring a, a lot of kind of recent grads and building out kind of your customer success function, what are some of the traits uh, that you would look for in, in hiring customer success uh, managers? Uh, there's probably two 
key things I would point to because there's there's long lists and there's a million things you can go into and, and there's a lot of debate around this. But at the end of the day, the two things that I would screen for, um, which is also what I would screen for for a community associate that I'm excited to be hiring soon, um, is flawless communication skills, uh, written, oral. The quickest way to lose anyone's trust, a client, a colleague, anyone is to have spelling or gram grammatical errors in an email or in a message. So it might seem small, but that's the first thing I look for. And I will, I'm not ashamed to say that I will and have rejected candidates sight unseen if there are spelling or grammatical errors in the, their outreach message to me purely on that basis. Um, the second is really strong relationship building skills. So you have to enjoy talking to people, empathy comes naturally, um, they're confident giving presentations and putting themselves out there. Um, CSMs, like really good CSMs are just natural relationship builders. Um, so I'd say those are kind of the two main pillars, communication and relationship building. It's, it's great advice and I think that uh, I definitely agree about the, I think uh, high quality uh, written and, and oral communication is increasingly essential in, in so many different roles. Uh, and I think that for a long time, people have appreciated that about oral communication, but for written communication for a long time, it's often been, uh, been undervalued. And it's a recognition that even if you're an engineer or you're uh, in operations, like the ability to communicate and write succinct to the point emails or Slack messages is a uh, very uh, uh, integral uh, uh, kind of skill. So on that point, uh, if uh, someone's listening and they're interested in breaking into the customer success field, they don't have any experience, they've never worked in customer success, what advice would you give them on how to prepare uh, themselves for potentially working in, in a customer success role? Um, great question. There's, there's a lot you can do. The, the great thing about customer success is that um, everyone loves helping each other and everyone loves giving stuff away because we just want everyone to be successful. So there's a lot out there. Um, so I would say go to csandfocus.com and check out the resources that are on there. Go to Catalyst, um, download our eBooks and take a skim through those. Um, look at our, you know, um, go to Success Hacker. There, you can get a, they do uh, training on CSM certifications and it's self, you know, uh, propelled or whatever the, the term is. You can do it at your own pace. I think it's for their level one, it might be 50 bucks, um, but it gives you all that foundational knowledge you need to understand the lingo, understand, um, you know, everything to get started uh, in, the, in the customer success world and enter that interview kind of knowing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a, uh, a great point. I think a lot of it, a lot uh, things that recent grads can do just to, to educate themselves about in-demand jobs is, is partly through the internet, just Googling yeah. and, and, and learning initially and, and, and different coffee chats and kind of, and you, you learn on the fly. One of the things that's interesting is I think if you ask most 18, 19, 20 year olds, what a customer success manager is, they wouldn't know. It's one of those jobs that has kind of emerged that's, uh, that's new, right? And uh, it's not like somebody gets a degree in customer success management from not yet. university. Not, <laughs> not, not yet. yet. I'm working on it, working on it. But it's uh, it's a good point. Like it, people don't know that it's a career option. If you told me when I was 18 that I could be paid a great salary to just like be, be like build a relationship with people, build relationships with people, and give presentations and like be friendly, I would have laughed. Like that, that doesn't seem like something that you can get paid for because it doesn't feel like work. I always stressed because my brother, my older brother is an engineer. Um, and so he had like a very linear, like 
tangible, you know, very clear career path as to how he could be extremely successful with his skills. And so um, I was like, well, I'm not good at that. I've tried multiple times. I'm good at like people and talking and making jokes and stuff like that, but who's going to pay me for that? Turns out there's a great job in tech that will pay you to do that. And that's customer success. So you uh, grew up in Ontario and then you went to uh, study at Mount Allison University, which uh, is a liberal arts university in uh, uh, New Brunswick, which I actually incidentally visited uh, kind of for the first time in back in uh, uh, December. Uh, and uh, yes. it is absolutely beautiful. Well, I had been there briefly before, but visited in depth uh, in, in December. Uh, you saw and, all and really four streets. Yeah, all four streets on that little main street. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't take too long uh, for for our listeners background. There's uh, I think my son has maybe like two thousand students. Uh, it's it's pretty twenty five hundred twenty five hundred. Yes, it's it's pretty small. It's so very petite. Yeah, that is a good very artsy though, in, in a uh, uh, very uh, uh, definitely a, a a town that that has a lot going for it for being so yeah. small. Yes, the and. Uh, so you, you know, you study business there, um, you're in this small kind of liberal arts uh, environment uh, and then transitioned um, kind of into, in, into tech, into customer success. And there's lots of debate around, you know, liberal, I know you study business, but it was within kind of a liberal arts you know, yeah. institution. And I'm sure you would have had to take a lot of liberal arts courses. In what ways do you think that your experience at Mount Allison um, and attending a liberal arts university helped uh, prepare you for what you do currently? Uh, hmm. Well, I will say that. So th there are a couple things I'll 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 point out to, um, because I think I have a lot of conflicting views about like post secondary education and stuff like that. But um, there are a couple things that I will point out that were extremely valuable. Um, one was a school uh, a class called People Skills in Business that was taught by Sandy McKeever, who I think is the, he's a former consultant. Um, we're still in touch, he's a, a brilliant guy. Um, and he taught it and it was all about, um, I mean, like I said, it's in the title, people skills in business. It was all about just how you, interpersonal conflict and collaboration and, and um, strategic thinking and all the, um, emotional intelligence like you know strengths finder and you know uh, all that kind of stuff that you don't think about being a part of business like that's what he drilled in on because we were getting enough of the finance and accounting and consumer behavior and all the kind of stuff that's just kind of run-of-the-mill commerce courses um, but his course was was that and the way he taught it was in these challenges every week there was an uh, either a lecture or a challenge and the challenge and they were all basically they were based on like oh at microsoft when i consulted for them they had this problem with hiring or with executives quitting or with whatever um, and here's this creative solution that um i did for them and it would be something where it's like different cutout shapes of construction paper and we have to make a certain shape with them as a team but there's rules like you can't talk or you can't do x y or z and so you have to pay attention to body language and it was just brilliantly brilliantly taught um, so that course stayed with me and um, I reuse the other thing that I think is more of the umbrella term or the umbrella concept is just being in university and going through university um, especially I worked almost 40 hours a week on top of my schoolwork all through school um, at Joey's I don't know if you ate at Joey's when you visited um, but is just getting in the rhythm of of being able to work, like put your head down, do hard work, build that work ethic, be really disciplined about your approach to things. Like 
I don't think I use almost 99% of what I learned. Sorry, Mane. Like I, I, I just don't use it every day. It wasn't specifically relevant, but the broader, you know, lessons that I learned putting myself through university and working hard and, um, meeting people and that kind of stuff. I, I do use all of that. The human skills that, that yes. the, not, not as much the, the, the tactical uh, ones. Um, yes. yeah, it's an interesting, it's something I, uh, reflect on as well. Having studied, uh, foreign policy processes, uh, as my <laughs> undergrad and then doing things completely different. Uh, uh, you know, I took all these courses on Burmese politics. So I know a lot about the, uh, <laughs> intricacies of different ethnic groups in Burma. Uh, but, not not that relevant to venture for Canada, but to your point, you know, writing regularly 20, 30 page term papers, mm -hmm. broadly analogous to grant writing and certain things that have to do at, at, at VFC. So I, yeah. your, your comments resonate <laughs> with my, uh, That's the umbrella my, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of shifting uh, back to, to customer success ever for a minute is, mm -hmm. um, can you describe, uh, to our listeners, what is a customer um, advisory board and how can uh, startups or just companies in general really build that kind of engaging relationships with their clients where it goes beyond a monetary relationship and kind of a strategic one? Your early customers are your most valuable. Uh, I'm sure many, every startup knows that, um, but you have to make sure you're using them to their full extent. I think a lot of times I see startups feel like they need to look like they have their shit together. Um, but often if customers are buying you and you're an early stage startup, they know that you're not the dominant force in the industry that has everything figured out. They want to bet on an underdog. There's something about you that they like and your functionality or your team, you have enough that you're able to solve their existing need and they have faith that you'll be able to solve their future ones. Um, so leverage the fact that they are your champions. Um, and a great way to do that is with a customer advisory board because it gives you an opportunity to be transparent around your product roadmap, what you plan on building and when and why and getting their candid feedback on that or getting their advice. Like you can literally go to a, a customer that's your current customer and say, we want to attract more customers like you. Um, and we want to better understand what channels we should be reaching out to them on. Are your peers on LinkedIn? Are they on Twitter? Are they on Facebook? You know, would you respond to an email to see a demo if it read like this, or if it had a meme in it, or if it had a video in it, um, use them. Uh, customers are often way more than happy to help. And I think that fear of coming across like you don't have everything figured out hampers a lot of startups from taking full advantage of that. So I definitely advise doing an, a customer advisory board very early on, getting candid feedback from customers and leveraging them to, to become champions and advocates. I love the concept. Uh, at Venture for Canada, we're actually effective February this month. Uh, we February 2021, we're launching an employer advisory council. Which, while different contexts of space, uh, it's about are we listening to you know our our employers that we work with? Are we getting advice? Are we incorporating their feedback? And one thing I love about the the, the concept that that you describe is that uh, it's important to create formalized processes to ensure that this feedback that they're in it organically it, it can happen right like mm -hmm. I'm sure even without a customer advice report some of this happens mm -hmm. but if you create a process if you create that intention mm -hmm. there's so much more likelihood for there to be that higher level of engagement uh, from a from a client definitely and I think the the thing that people often forget about customers um, or just 
people in general is that the people that you hear from are the loudest people who are the most confident, the most outspoken. So often, you know, if something's wrong, you might have one customer that's particularly outspoken and will will email you and be like, this isn't okay. You should be doing it this way. Um, but the other 80, 90%, they might have something to say, but they might not be confident in it, or they might just not have been asked. They might be waiting for you to ask them. So taking that opportunity to proactively seek out feedback from people that are qu the quietest people in the room is often, in my experience, one of the most valuable things that you can do because um, they've often great thoughts and great insights. They're just waiting to be asked. So I think it's really important to, to be proactive about it. Uh, a major theme in your comments today has been the importance of relationship building, about how that's something you love to do, how it's something um, uh, essential to being successful in, in the customer success uh, space. What advice uh, would you give to, to people working in customer success roles on how to build uh, really strong, uh, resilient uh, relationships with their the clients? Um, well, be genuine about it. Is, is the first thing that you can, anyone can see through a disingenuous attempt to, to build a relationship right from the get-go. Um, so be genuine about it. Find something about that person or that company or uh, you know whoever it is that genuinely interests you that you either respect or want to learn more about or something like that, or just find, um, yeah, find interesting. Um, and focus on understanding what it is that they want to accomplish and then see how you can help them with that. Uh, at the end of the day, people have, everyone wants to be successful. The whole thing with customer success is that you succeed by helping others succeed. Um, so if I wanna build a relationship with someone, whether it's for um, you know Catalyst or for a personal project, or it's just in, in life, um, the way I go about doing that is by trying to understand who they are, what their goals are, what their preferences are in terms of either you know, communication and frequency and, and format, that kind of thing. And then seeing what I can do to help them be successful. I don't focus on just like, I want Scott to like me. So I'm going to tell him a bunch of jokes and I'm going to be friendly and laugh and whatever uh, in our conversations, though I might do that too. Um, I'm going to want to know, you know, what you are specifically looking to achieve. And then I'm going to think about how I can help you with that. And then I'm going to genuinely try to do it uh, because I know that that's the foundation of a strong relationship. It's great. Uh, advice and I think that relevant uh, beyond customer success, but also to to life uh, yes. in in general. And one of the thing before we started uh, recording, um, I talked about how uh, I've listened to a lot of uh, Ben's uh, podcast episodes uh, um, through uh, Catalyst, and which I think are, are are fantastic. And I noticed that that's a running kind of theme throughout a lot of your episodes, Ben which is that kind of exploring how to build relationships uh, with people. And obviously the podcast is kind of focused on customer success, but in many ways it has a, a broader, uh, I would say, uh, mandate, which I think is, is, uh, is fantastic. So on, on the topic of, uh, of your podcast, um, for our listeners, if they want to um, check out or learn more about, about uh, your podcast, what's uh, an episode or, or episodes you in particular recommend that they, uh, they, they listen to? Um, well, uh, so I didn't mention this before in CS metrics, but we have a CS metric called NPS or net promoter score. Um, so the, the podcast is called NPS. I love you. We had to go for some sort of pun, um, and an episode I'd recommend checking out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great ones I would recommend, especially if you're into customer success, check out, um, 
Christy Feltaruso. It's called the, the Real Housewives of Customer Success is the title of her episode. She's A, someone you should follow on every social media channel. She puts out an incredible amount of customer success content. Um, she's the VP of customer success at IntelliShift, but she's just a load of fun. We laughed our way through it and um, she imparted a lot of great advice, but it's also just a, it's a fun listen. So I would check that one out. I like your creativity of titles uh, throughout uh, <laughs> podcast. So running definitely theme, running theme in my life. Like I would university just, you have me thinking about that, but I would sit for an hour and a half to come up with a catchy title for my term paper before I would actually write the term paper. Um, so it's definitely important. I, I can um, relate a little bit. I remember in uh, uh, high school, I was very active in competitive uh, debating and hmm. You have to name points uh, for now. We have lost often be only fifteen minutes to prepare. <laughs> I remember sometimes sending like two minutes just to be like, okay, what's the catchy name for this? Yeah. Uh, the, 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 this point. It makes a big uh, difference. It does. It makes a lot. I wasn't particularly good at it. My debating partner, I would uh, often lean on his advice, but uh, creating very alliterative. I remember uh, we were perhaps not the most creative, but very alliterative point names. Yeah. Uh, a good way to grab people's uh, attention. 100%. One thing that has always uh, impressed me, Ben, and I think uh, you know, uh, has been something that has made you stand out amongst uh, different Venture for Canada uh, fellows is your ability to uh, manage many different uh, kind of projects uh, at once. So you, know, you have your full-time job, but also you'll do a lot of different kind of side hustles or other kind of ventures uh, at, the, at the same time. What advice would you give uh, to somebody who is just starting, let's say, a side hustle? And for background of listeners, a side hustle is a something you're you're doing concurrently while being still full time employed. You know, working forty plus hours a week at, at a job. So, yeah, what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to to launch a, a side hustle? Um, make sure it's something that you really enjoy doing, um, or something you're really passionate about. It could be a great product market fit. You might have something where it could generate a lot of money. Um, but if you don't really love doing it, you're just not going to have that motivation because you're going to be so exhausted from doing your day job that when it comes to putting in those hours on the evenings and weekends, um, you're just going to be burnt out and you won't do a great job with it or you won't stick with it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's why, I mean, the key example, like I, um, started CS and focus. That was to me felt like play. Like I was just organizing events. I had, a, it was all volunteer as a nonprofit, but, um, so we still made money, but it all went back into the, into the company. Um, but we were organizing events, putting out resources, stuff like that. And it was just fun for me. And I knew it was also helping my career and that sort of thing versus, um, two years ago, I tried to start a, a marketplace software, um, it was called assembly. And I still think it's an amazing product that could make a lot of money. And one day I might actually do it. Um, but what happened was I got to the point where I had, um, a very large company in Toronto that was ready to pilot it. Um, if I built it, they had basically agreed to that. And I had investors that were willing to back it if I executed that pilot. Um, and I was looking at sort of this roadmap of work in front of me and I knew what it would take to do. And I just didn't have it in me. I was like, I don't want to spend, I know exactly how, like this will consume everything and I'll have to drop all these other projects. I won't be able to, you know, help work with my uh, partner in his photography business. I won't be able to put in as much time at work. I won't be able to keep going with CS and focus. I would need to be day job and this and nothing else. And 
it just to me was not worth the trade-off. So that was a big lesson for me uh, in terms of how to think about what I take on outside of my, my day job. Yeah, there's only so many hours uh, in, in the day that at a certain point, something has to give. My, my grandfather, who is a, a quite successful entrepreneur and almost 90, and who's done a lot of stuff in his life. One thing he told me recently is, is uh, you know, he was reflecting on kind of his life. He says, you can't do everything, Scott, and, and yeah. don't, you know, don't, don't try. And I was like, you know, that is that is wise wisdom by a, a 90 year old that that I will, uh, I think is, is good to reflect. And I think particularly as someone at the end of his 20s, but still in my 20s myself, it's something I reflect on. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I want to do, we live in a very FOMO, you know, fear of missing out culture. Uh, so. Uh, sure. it, it can be, uh, it, it can be tough. So one of your, uh, other, uh, side hustles is you are the, we're on the founding team of venture out, which is the first and largest, uh, tech and social impact non-for-profit organization connecting LGBT plus people in tech to career opportunities, mentorship, and each other. Uh, what advice would you give, uh, to startups on how to be inclusive, uh, to all employees, but I guess in particular, and given the context of venture out, uh, to, um, uh, members of the LGBT plus uh, community. Um, yeah. So, I mean, first she, huge shout out to Jeanette stock, um, for bringing me into that. She was the, the, you know, chief founder of that whole project and, um, you know, it was awesome getting to work with her and she's a fellow fellow um, in the 2016 cohort. The, uh, I mean, what I'd say to employers, I, I think actually you, you, uh, and what you said there is, is sort of the point I wanted to make on that, which is it's not about, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything specific that employers should do to build inclusive spa spaces that are inclusive of LGBTQ people. I think that if you build a culture that's truly inclusive, um, then it's much more foundational. It can be applied to anybody who has any, let's say variation or any sort of reason to ever feel othered. Um, and if you, if you build that, then no matter what comes along, um, then you're always equipped to handle it and support the team. Um, in my mind, all the kind of cliche things are more lip service recruiting. It's great. Like if you wanna hire a drag queen for an entertainment, entertainment during pride, or you wanna march in the parade, um, great. Um, like those, those are definitely positive things that you can do to show support, but I don't think, um, I would say in, in terms of building an inclusive space, I don't think that I would bundle in with those. I think an inclusive space um, to me just means a, a space where you feel completely safe and comfortable being your genuine self at work. And I think that applies to um, all people. I think everyone has, you know, needs to feel that way. And I think that the, what I, the advice I would give, um, hire HR early, they, earlier than you think. Hire your people person as soon as you can afford them. Um, because that can, I've seen that kill a company. I mean, we've had a company last year for in Toronto, major fintech startup that because of the way that an issue was handled, their investment got pulled and the company went bankrupt and in a day or two days or something like that. Um, so mitigate those risks early on, build an inclusive culture by hiring an expert in that, uh, a people person, an HR person right from the start and build it from the ground up over time. And that'll just pay dividends down the road. It's uh, great advice. And I think uh, I've seen that in uh, Venture Canada and all the different companies we work with is, is the importance of investing in HR uh, uh, early on and not just getting any HR person, but getting a really good HR person. Yes. 
yes. is important. I think that there's uh, sometimes in technology startups, there's actually a shortage, I think, of really skilled uh, people leaders. And I think one of the things that a an opportunity in the Canadian ecosystem is how to continue to develop um, strategic people leaders, where often uh, I think when people think of HR, they think of, oh, that's the person who gets my T4, or that's nice. the person who does the vacation booking uh, mm -hmm. or, or that thing. And it's it's transforming it from a, it's not an administrative person who's like an assistant, but that this is a really important senior executive strategic role that has a huge positive, potential positive impact on your company's you know bottom line and also just a, being a good place to work. Yeah. Uh, and so I think your, your, your comments are, are super important. And the other second point that resonated is I think that importance of intersectional uh, inclusion of mm -hmm. how do you build uh, a, a workplace that is inclusive uh, to, uh, to everybody, uh, mm -hmm. kind of regardless of a background, recognizing that it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, kind of uh, journey. But um, mm -hmm. I think that, that that's very kind of helpful uh, kind of comments. One uh, you know thing we're venture Canada we're always fascinated on is is thinking around uh, advice and what advice you know people would give themselves the younger versions of themselves. So a question I have for you, Ben, is if you could go back in time and you could give advice to your twenty two year old self, what would you say and why? So so much. Um buy GameStop on uh, January 31st, <laughs> buy a lot of GameStop stock. Um, if I could go back, uh, to that point, I would say, um, I think the biggest transformation that it took me way longer than it should have to figure out that I would advise is um, culturally we're, we're really taught to, and I would say even universities do this, where we're taught to um, compensate, we're taught to focus on our weaknesses and build them up into strengths. Um, and so we devote a lot of resources to saying, okay, I'm good at presentations and I'm good at being creative and coming up with funny names for things I do. Um, you know what? I'm not good at um, accounting. I'm not good at um, writing code. I'm not good at, you know, X, Y, or Z. So that's where I'm going to focus my time to level up those skills to make me this really strong, versatile person. But what I've learned is that you become incredibly more valuable um, to companies and yourself and, and the economy in general, if you instead focus all that energy on doubling down on what you're already good at. Instead of being naturally good at presentations, focus on being the best presenter that you could ever possibly be. Um, if you're good at, you know, um, creative problem solving, or if you're good at marketing, you're good at these things, double down on those instead of focusing on the things that you aren't good at, because then you end up pretty good at 50 things or a hundred things or whatever, instead of extremely good at a small set of things. And companies don't want to hire a bunch of people that are pretty good at a lot of things. They want to hire, they want to put together a team where they feel like they're putting together the Avengers, where they each have their own specific specialty, except for Scarlett Johansson, who serves no purpose, but they each have their own specific specialty and they're putting together this dream team of talented people that when they come together, they can create the most amazing product and team and grow. And so if you really want to accelerate your career and, and do really well and, and um, be promoted, that kind of thing, really double down on the things that you already have a natural inclination towards and don't spend time focusing on the things that you're not good at. 
Uh, that's advice that really resonates uh, to me. And coincidentally, I've actually been doing a lot of research on this topic uh, in a few points. The first off is that statistically across the population, a lot of studies have been done, which just shows that people think they can improve their weaknesses more than their strengths, even though it's scientifically proven to your point that your strengths are actually what you can kind of amplify. So mm -hmm. that's the first point. Second is, is that it's important to think around, I think, managing one's uh, weaknesses, not necessarily improving them. So, yes. you know, it's it's to the extent to which, A, how can I remove myself from situations that I don't need to do, you know, these things that I'm weak at or mm -hmm. and how can have other people do do them? And you hear that, I've heard that so much from different successful entrepreneurs where they say, okay, well, I hire people to, to do that. You know, if I'm, I'm not good at it. So, you right. know, I, I'm outsourcing it. Um, but also just even in someone's career, if, if you're not an entrepreneur, going into kinds of roles where you're not going to do things, you know, frequently that, that you're weak at. Now, if it's, yeah. if it's something around like, you know, uh, certain attention to detail, for instance, which is probably valuable in, in most jobs at a certain point, if someone says, oh, I'm just not good at attention to detail. Well, then somebody needs to get it up to a certain level. So to the point about managing, right, mm -hmm. that, that weakness, I, but it's I, really, yeah, it's doubling down on the strength. I, I love that you brought that up because that's literally, um, that was the other piece I was going to say. So I am always super upfront that I am not extremely detail oriented. And so I really value having a colleague who is, who can proof my work before it gets sent out, who can lean over my shoulder, or if I forget something or I, whatever that can point it out for me. Um, and there are people who have like very natural detail orientation. Um, and I love those people because they compensate for my weaknesses. And even when I was interviewing at Catalyst, I was very honest, like that is my weakness. Like I'm not the most detail oriented person. I'm great at getting shit done, but it might not be perfect. Um, so give me someone to work with who is good at that. And that kind of leads into another kind of stemming off that piece of advice, which is you're gonna be for, if you're applying to these early stage startups and you're 18, 19, um, or you're just coming out of school, you're going to be asked what your big, biggest weaknesses are. And the surest way to lose points is to give a cop-out answer. Like I care too much, or I work too hard or blah, blah, blah. Um, be honest about what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. And they will love that because then it helps, you're helping the company figure out where you'll fit in because maybe you have a really strong skill here and a weak skill here, but they know they have someone where their strength is your weakness. And so they know you'll work really well together. Um, so lean into that, be honest about it. They'll, that'll win you so many points. Recent grads take note, yeah. uh, working too hard is not a weakness to, to say, right? Or I care yes. too much is not a weakness. Very common answer that I hear. It is a often a humble brag and uh, not, not a good answer to, to, to say. Um, to, to uh, Ben's point, one uh, tool that I recommend, two tools. So Ben recommended one thing uh, before, which I, I uh, suggest people check out is Gallup has a tool called Strength Finders, which you can use. Uh, and there's varying opinions about it, but it's probably the most common kind of strength finder. There's another great exercise, which I actually prefer called Reflect Your Best Self, uh, which uh, in essence, what you do is you, um, you get 11 to 12 people who you know well, uh, uh, so that's family members, colleagues, uh, sort of friends, uh, kind of you're the top 12 people you know in your life. And you get them to, to not tell you verbally, but to, you send them an email, say, when I am at my best, I do this. And you, and you, and you get them to email you the advice, the sort of tw the 12, and then you compile it into one kind of document and you begin to look at the different kind of like trends. 
Uh, and, and then you sort of begin to say, okay, well, these are, this is kind of the people's perceptions of, of what kind of strength, and there's other kind of tools and mechanisms, but I think, you know, to your point, Ben is, is I think one of the, it's, it's absolutely important to double down on strengths. And I think the first step of that is really reflecting on what are your strengths? Uh, mm -hmm. and we all have blind spots. And I think the only way we understand really what our strengths are is actually by talking uh, to people who know us the best and kind of getting their uh, input. Definitely. Oh, hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's only through other things that other people have said or written or told me that I'm able that I was able to figure out what my strengths were because we have we have a tendency just as people to like discount what we're good at. We devalue it because it comes easily to us. But what comes easily to us doesn't come easily to the next person. So it's only through other people's eyes that we can understand that. So I think it's a, an awesome exercise. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> you're a fan of it as well. My final question uh, before we, we end off uh, the podcast is if there are two or three books uh, that you recommend our listeners um, check out, what are they uh, and why do you recommend them? Um, okay. I have, I wrote three down um, because yeah, I couldn't decide. Um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss um, is, so negotiation is one of the most important life skills that nobody will ever teach you. Um, so never split the difference, read it, apply it, practice it. It has gotten me upgraded on flights. It's gotten me discounts on things. It's gotten me better salaries. Read the book. Um, the Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided Over Politics and Religion. That's by Jonathan Haidt. Um, just a really good book to help you be more empathetic and understand people and what's going on around us. The book is a few years old, but it's more applicable now than ever for obvious reasons. So definitely recommend that one. Um, and the last one is a, a little more like the cynic in me, but it's called Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World uh, by Anand Garadaradas, if I'm saying his last name right. Um, really eye-opening to kind of this illusion of philanthropy that all these wealthy and successful people do um, where it's really structured around how they only engage in it to maintain the status quo um, and to essentially keep themselves in power. So it's a really interesting kind of eye-opening book that I recommend if that's if that's more your speed. I agree. Winners Take All is a fantastic book. My favorite book, uh, I think I read uh, well, yeah, 2018, I remember when, when I read it. It is fantastic. Uh, he's also amazing on Twitter, the author yes. of uh, uh, that book. Uh, he did a great job uh, when we're taping this today. Uh, it was just yesterday that Jeff Bezos announced he was uh, retiring as CEO of Amazon. And uh, Anand uh, was doing a very uh, good job of kind of trolling Jeff Bezos. Because nice. a lot of people say, oh, now Jeff Bezos can save the world through philanthropy. And uh, no. he's like, well, do I have a good book, uh, book yeah. for you? I think it, it does a really good job of, um, you know, running a charity, you know, myself and, and mm -hmm. being involved in the philanthropic sector. Uh, it made me reflect as well, I think, on the way that sometimes philanthropy can reinforce existing systems and can actually be really risk averse uh, yeah. and, um, yeah, and not actually solve things. Um, uh, and the second, I, I haven't read that book by Jonathan Heath, but I have read another book that he wrote uh, called The Coddling of the American Mind. It's uh, a good with, one, too. Uh, it is an excellent uh, book, uh, very relevant, I think. Uh, now, though, I do not necessarily agree, agree with every single comment, and it is, a, I would say, a little bit of a controversial book, but I think it's an important one for people to to read and, and to understand. And I've heard great things about his, uh, his, his other book as well. So on that closing, thanks for this very informative uh, conversation, Ben. A lot of uh, great learnings on everything from customer success, career development, relationship building, 
uh, book advice, managing side hustles, inclusion and diversity. We covered it all uh, oh, today. Man. So uh, thanks so much for coming on uh, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for all, all you're doing in the space. It's, it's awesome stuff. And one final question is yeah. where can our listeners go to find and learn more about you and your work? Um, I mean, you can, you can add me on LinkedIn. Uh, I post on there a lot. I'm happy to connect with, with fellows, um, but definitely check out just the community section on, on Catalyst. Um, you can follow me on Twitter as well. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to, to connect. So check it out and uh, yeah, join the, the customer success movement. That's it for this week's episode of A New Wave of Entrepreneurship. Stay connected with us via our social and our email list. Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Venture4Canada, that is Venture, the number four, Canada, or email us at podcast at Venture4, that's spelled F-O-R, Canada.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Sturt, and until next time, stay safe, stay motivated, and stay grateful. A New Wave of Entrepreneurship is produced by Juanita Lee Garcia and Latifa Farah. Editing and mixing also done by Latifa Farah. Erica Ormiston is our editorial assistant. Mark Wallach and Premium Beat own the copyright and publishing rights related to the song used in this podcast. The comments and opinions, recommendations, or suggestions expressed on the podcast by the guests are not liable to Venture for Canada and belong solely to each individual. Any information provided stated by our guests and our host is independent of Venture for Canada. A new wave of entrepreneurship is a Venture for Canada brand and all content is owned by Venture for Canada. If you'd like to use our content, please reach out to us at podcast at venture4, that's spelled F-O-R, Canada.ca.